This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condis Presley. As we mark one year of the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic, I want to introduce you to a survivor, but that's only part of his story. Nerva Altino is one half of the Altino brothers, Haitian-born concert pianist, now living in New York. Nerva's book, More Than a Gift, is this week number one among the autobiographies available on Amazon. Nerva Altino, welcome to Perspectives. I'm happy to have you here to share your story. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, hello, everyone, listeners out there. How does a young boy from Haiti grow up to be a brilliant concert pianist in America, defeating all of the challenges you faced as a kid? Uh, my brother and I, uh, you know, were raised by my mom because my father had to leave Haiti on a banana boat to make his way, trying to make his way to the United States. And after three years, he was able to send for my mother. And, uh, and two years after that, he sent for my brother and I in Haiti. I came to this country and I faced a lot of adversity. I experienced bullying, didn't speak a word of English. You know, it was basically culture shock for me. I also had a love for music. My father is a, was a church pianist and he loved classical music. I picked up that habit from him, both my brother and me. When I started play, learning to play the piano at 10 years old, my intention was to just become, you know, a, a pianist, a volunteer pianist, maybe play for a local church. My father wanted me uh, to be a doctor or a pastor, but I wanted no part of that. One day, I saw this Black pianist playing at Lincoln Center. His name is Andre Watts. And I just lost it. I had never seen a man who looked like me playing the piano like that. And it was at that point I decided that I wanted to pursue that goal. He practiced the piano for eight hours a day. Well, at 11 or 12 years old, I couldn't be practicing the piano that much. I had school and everything. So, But I extended my practice time to about three or four hours every night. I made rapid progress. But at the same time, I was, like I said, I was dealing with bullying in school. And doing that, you know, it, it made me experience depression as a kid to the point where I had thoughts of suicide. Oh, no. Why do you think the other kids bullied you? Because I was Haitian. I was different. I didn't have wear the same kind of clothing that they wore. In Haiti, I could not fathom going to school to look good. We just went there to learn and we all wore uniform. But when I came to this country, I, I didn't know anything. I just wore whatever. <laughs> so my clothes looked funny to the other kids and they were. I've gotten jumped numerous times. I've gotten beat up, bruised up. And this went on from elementary school until I got to the seventh grade. After the seventh grade, I made up my mind that I was no longer allow my, going to allow myself to be bullied. Otherwise, I believe that eventually I would have been killed. So uh, I began to work out, lift weights and things like that. I went to high school. I turned to the streets. I made up my mind in high school that I would no longer be bullied. I wanted to be the man, the most popular guy in school. So I find myself leaning towards the guys. All the ran. while still studying piano? All the while while still studying piano. And I would hang out with these guys. I would watch, you know, sell, watch them sell drugs and things like that. And they would ask me to sell drugs with them, but I'd never agree. When I was 16 years old, I finally agreed to do it. While we were making our plan to take over a drug spot. I got a call from a church that needed a musician. Took the call, went for an interview with my father to meet with a pastor, and that church agreed to hire me. Now, mind you, I already had another church job that was paying me, you know, $60 a Sunday. And I um, 
that church, the timing for that service began at 11 a.m. This new church was a mile away and the church service started at 8 a.m. and dismissed at 10 a.m. And the pay was doubled. So here I am being hired by this church that paid double what I had to, what I was making and I didn't have to leave the previous church. So now my pay was tripled. So I took that as a sign that I shouldn't sell drugs. So I never did sell drugs. I eventually became the most popular guy in school and fighting was a way of life for me. I carried a chip on my shoulder from all the bullying I'd experienced. I didn't start fights, but any opportunity I had to engage in a street fight, I took it. In high school, I, was, I became the type of kid that my parents did not raise me to be because I was carrying a lot of anger. By the time I was a senior, it was time to go to college. I applied to the top conservatories, the Juilliards of the world, the Manhattan School of Music, Curtis Institute. I didn't get accepted into any of them. However, a man who was uh, the chair of a small Christian college in Massachusetts, Atlantic Union College, came to my church, my home church, to give a concert, a recital. And I went to speak to him and he told me about this college. I hadn't learned, I hadn't known about the college. So anyway, long story short, I, that, that's why I, I ended up going, um, Atlantic Union College. And while I was there, I, I became a music major, piano performance major. And um, throughout my years at AUC, my uh, cavalier lifestyle, if you will, continued. I was wild, I enjoyed, I enjoyed hanging out at the nightclubs, Four times a week, from Thursday to Sunday, I was at a club or a bar somewhere. And uh, this could not have helped your grades. Actually, I was able to maintain my grades in college. Believe it or not, I I took an average of seventeen to nineteen credits a semester. I practice five to six hours a day, and had a lesson every day from from my um, teacher, um, Kirsten Robertson was his name. And in spite of all the party that I was doing, I was able to maintain good grades as well as a, a work ethic that was so unreal that people thought I was abnormal. Um, but I managed to get by. But you know, the, the, the lifestyle I was leading though, it, it clouded my thinking. And because, you know, I, like I said, I carried a lot of anger from, from high school, it, transferred into my college life as well. So in college, I find myself thinking about violence all the time. And I'm in this you know, town going to school and I will still find myself getting into trouble by fighting in malls, fighting in, 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 in clubs and parties and so forth. The turning point came for me when I was in my early twenties. I think I was a junior in college or something like that. And um, my cousin and I were driving and uh, 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 a young guy, Hispanic brother, ran into the street. I almost hit him. <laughs> I stopped just in time to avoid him. And, and, and he cursed me out. My cousin had some, some words for him. But I realized where we were. This, wasn't, this was not a good neighborhood. This was in Massachusetts. I drove off. Went, and, it, and then I got to a gas station, pulled up at the gas station. And... Um, to get, get, I get out the car. Next thing I knew, we were surrounded. And then come out of a group of guys came the guy who we had just exchanged words with. Anyway, he, um, they, they decided to, to fight us. My cousin and I had no weapons on us, but these guys had two, had two by four pipes, steel pipes, and a gun. 
One of them struck me with the pipe, with the um, two by four in my head. I fell the, uh, against the car. And all these guys, there were probably about 15 of them. They jumped my, my cousin and I. So I was just taking cover to try and avoid getting hit in my face and so forth. And then I saw the guy with the gun trying to aim it at me. He aimed the gun, could not take the shot because his friends were in the way. He told them, move, move, move out of the way. I, I want to shoot him. Once I realized this, I became desperate. So I started swinging, fighting with all my might, with everything I had. And my cousin did the same. And in doing so, the guy who hit me with the two by four, he dropped it. He dropped the two by four and I picked it up and began striking every one of them. As they began to take off, this same guy who hit me was on a bike. The other guys were in cars and some were on foot. I went after the guy who had struck me. I did the same to him. He fell and his body was shaking. And my cousin and I just kept hitting him. Well, lo and behold, of all the things, and the cops had been called, of all the things for them to see, they saw my cousin and me doing that, beating up the guy. The guy was taken in an ambulance. My cousin and I were arrested. I later learned that he fell into a coma. But uh, thankfully, we had witnesses who came forward and said that my cousin and myself were acting in self-defense. And also, um, thank God, the, the guy came out of the coma and recovered. But anyway, I was able to beat that assault case. Uh, but I saw my life flashing before me. Anyway, as my college life progressed, I eventually graduated with a degree in, 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 in um, piano performance. And I got, I got accepted into the Manhattan School of Music, which I had applied to before in, in, at 18 for the undergrad program. And they told me that I had no business studying music. So this time around, I got accepted. And I have a master's from Manhattan School of Music now in piano performance. So my brother and I were able to build this music career uh, as pianists, we, we, we mainly, you know, we were classically trained, but we incorporate a lot of different things into our, our, our program, gospel music, jazz, R&B, and so forth, pop music. And to make it interesting for, for our audiences, uh, we have performed at Lincoln Center, have toured uh, China, uh, Europe, and, and Carnegie Hall, made our Carnegie Hall debut in 2015. Uh, needless to say, in spite of all the adversity, you know, I, I've been very fortunate and was able to achieve my dreams as a musician. However, uh, just last year, you know, things were good. I, I am married. I have a family. Um, I thought I had the perfect life. And out of nowhere, when this pandemic hit last year, um, it took its toll on, on me as well as my, my entire family. I contracted COVID, so did my father. Uh, my father passed from the coronavirus. And while I was suffering with it, um, I, I, it just, as a matter of fact, it's gonna be exactly one year next week when, when I first contracted the, the virus. I became so sick that um, I told my wife, okay, I needed to go to the hospital. Well, this, this was after um, I confirmed with a cousin of mine who actually lives in the Atlanta area, Paul Alphonse, who told me, get to the hospital because I told him of my symptoms. Get to the hospital right away. Sound like you may have COVID. I was in denial. I didn't want to accept it. But I called my wife who was at work 
And she said, I'm not gonna um, call an ambulance. I'm coming, um, taking off from work, come get you. I'm gonna take you to urgent care. I went to urgent mm-hmm. care. After the four hour wait, I was finally seen by a doctor. The doctor told me that um, I had double pneumonia and he needed to call an ambulance to take me to the emergency. I pleaded with him. I said, look, doc, I don't want to go to the emergency room. I have a fear of hospitals. So he said, no, you have no choice because you are on the verge of going into a medically induced coma. Uh, Your your lungs are, are, are filled and your organs are failing. He took me to the emergency. Uh, he called the ambulance that took me to the emergency emergency room. And I got to the hospital. Um, they took care of me because there were there were no 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 rooms available. No room, there was no room available for, for any more patients. So I um they released me about later on that that night, probably around 11, 12, midnight or so. I said, okay, so I went home. And uh, about two days later, this time I was having breathing breathing issues. Now, prior to that, when you know, they sent a- you home, Nerva, mm-hmm. when they sent you home, had you been treated with any kind of medication? Yes. Or yes. I was. I was. They treated. did treat your symptoms. They just didn't have a place for you. Right. Right. And they sent me home, prescribed uh, antibiotics and so forth. However, two days later, my condition worsened. I was not having breathing breathing issues. So I was upstairs on, on the top floor in my home while quarantined. My wife came to give me my medication. I told her, look, um, it's time for you to plan my funeral because I'm not going to make it. Um, because there's no way I could survive this thing. I'm, I'm just weak. I, I can't handle it anymore. Okay. I think my time here is done. And she said, no, you're not dying. God is not through with you yet. It's a lot of work for you to do. No. Okay. Get dressed. We're going to get, go to the hospital again. And she took me to the hospital again. And, um, I was admitted this time and there was a room available. So they gave me again, more medication, oxygen and so forth. And, um, about five, six hours later, the doctor came to me and he said, we're releasing you. I said, well, doc, I, I'm not, I'm not in a condition right now to, to go home yet. You know, I think I need to stay for a while. And this man said to me, I'm going to tell you this in confidence. You have two choices. We could either keep you here where we will have to put you on a ventilator and the results could be catastrophic, or I could send you home where your chances of recovery will be greater. Needless to say, I called my wife. I said, come get me. Um, and then and, and, and she came and got me, I went home. And two days after that, I found out my father had passed from the same virus. And, um, but my recovery was slow. I was sick for over two months. And, um, you know, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, medication, uh, being a Caribbean man, you know, the natural remedies that they provide, that helped tremendously. So uh, I was able to recover from COVID. But in spite of the things that I have been through in all my life, that was probably the biggest battle I had ever faced in my life. But I'm just thankful to be here. You know, so um, I've, I've recovered um, teaching online and, and I am, um, you know, my friends and I, my friend and I, and I, we just founded a conscious series, established a conscious series where we're gonna provide 
um, concerts, virtual concerts for the people. So I'm just doing my best to, to live it in my purpose. Uh, you know, I know that I'm here for a reason. My life was spared for a reason. So uh, I'm just thankful just to be here. And how did you thank your wife who said, no, <laughs> honey, you're not done yet. You, you have a purpose. We yeah. are going to get you well. Yeah. Well, she's the love of my life. That's all I can say. You know, uh, I don't recall having any particular celebration because the, the, the <laughs> pandemic. So we're still in the midst of the pandemic. But I mean, I, I thank God for her every day, every day, you know, because she. she and you decided to. Yes, go ahead. I'm go sorry. ahead. I'm sorry. You finish. You finish. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that, you know, she, she, I just thank God for her for, for, for allowing her to basically literally, you know, breathe words into my life. Yeah. And then you decided to tell your story in a book, More Than a Gift, How Classical Piano Became the Soundtrack to the Violent Life I Escaped, number one this week on Amazon in the, in the bio, autobiography category. Uh, so you have classes to teach and a story to tell. What made you want to write the book? Well, the book was actually in the works prior to the pandemic, prior to me contracting COVID. But uh, I had to prolong the release of it because I needed to write this last chapter with regards to my experience uh, uh, you know, from COVID. I, I feel that like it's a testimony that needed to be told. So I wrote this last chapter this past year and, and uh, finally you know, was able to release the book uh, last month. So uh, I, I couldn't have that book being released and not tell that that side of it because the la the la that last chapter is called the biggest battle, the biggest fight in my life. And it really was in spite of the, all the street fights I'd encountered, you know, almost getting shot. This battle with COVID was nothing that I'd ever experienced before. And plus losing my father in the midst of it. My father was 82 years old, very strong man. You know, he, he, he got up every day, worked out, did his morning devotion and, and he was a vegan and, and did all the right things, but this disease came and, and, and just took him out instantaneously. And so that, you know, in addition to experiencing the physical aspect of it, the emotional aspect of it was just as, 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 as bad because, you know, losing my father. Yeah. How are you different now? How are you tackling life going forward? Being one of the more than 527,000 families who experienced a COVID loss in the last year and having contracted the virus and survived it yourself. Well, you know, I have a new outlook on life. Um, I think that like so many of us, I took things for granted. Um, and I have a different perspective. I appreciate life, my friends, my family. Um, I, you know, this pandemic has brought me, has reconnected me with old friends. And um, I realized that this life can be taken from us in any moment. So we have to make every moment in our lives count. And, and our purpose here is to serve, at least I, I believe that, that that's the way it should be, you know, is to serve and use the talents that God has given to us to uh, reach and touch others with it. So my outlook on life now is to try and live with a sense of purpose, 
What have you learned about yourself and battling the bullying as a, as a young kid and the street violence and the fighting? And, you know, you told the story, you were protecting your head. I'm thinking, why are you not protecting your hands? Because you're still this gifted artist. Do you work through that? Yeah, what I learned about myself is that, first of all, I believe that every adversity one experiences, for every adversity, there's a blessing on the other side. I think that all those experiences have shaped me into the person I've become. Um, my dealings with people, the way I approach things in life. Having been so fearful when I was in elementary school, and then I said to myself, I'm either going to allow myself to be, to continue getting bullied or I'm going to fight back. So it made me realize that I have a resilience within me that I think I inherited from my father. And it kind of made me unafraid to pursue big goals. Because I look at those things, here you are, you know, a kid who's constantly fighting in the street, coming across gangsters, if you will, who try to shoot you and you somehow fought your way back. So why not translate that same energy into the same area, other areas of your life and your profession? You can be fearless about, you know, pursuing a goal. If you want to perform a Carnegie Hall, pursue it. If you want to tour the world, pursue it. So it has made me unafraid to pursue the goals that I want to achieve in my life. You and your brother have performed at Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall. You've traveled the world and yet you continue to teach. Yes, piano to young Black children in New York City. Is yes. that your way of paying it forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there could be no other way. You, you, I was so fortunate to have found a teacher who took time to invest in me. So I feel that I have a responsibility and duty to do the same for the next generation. Um, I, one of my, you know, I had a Black History um, virtual concert series this past February, and the, the series opened up with one of my organ students, I play pipe organ as well, he gave the first recital. So I have that responsibility, and it, it, it's something that I, I don't take light. It's something that I, 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 um, I feel that I'm honored to be able to do and give it back. I have a responsibility and duty to pass on what I have learned from someone else. And what do you tell your students about being different. You were different as a child and survived it. Mm -hmm. They may be different. Do you teach them to embrace their differences because it is a strength? Yes. Yes. Because when you're the same as everyone else, you're not going to be noticed. Embrace your differences because that's a blessing. God made you different for a reason. That's something that you have to embrace and use that to reach people and show them endless possibilities. How can our listeners follow you and your brother? And how can we get your book, More Than a Gift, How Classical Piano Became the Soundtrack to the Violent Life I Escaped? The book can be purchased on Amazon. It's currently on sale on Amazon, uh, on both Kindle and uh, the uh, paperback. Uh, eventually, we're going to get it on other bookstores online, but that's where it is right now. And you can follow us at The Altina Brothers on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Instagram. We have a Twitter account, although I don't tweet much, I admit. Uh, but uh, the Altino Brothers uh, Facebook page is the best way to, to, to find us and follow us. And is that how we might find out about any future virtual events that you will be performing until such time as we can enjoy you in concert, in a concert hall, in person? Oh, 
In addition to the Facebook, we also have a website, www.thealtinobrothers.com. Well, again, the book is More Than a Gift, How Classical Piano Became the Soundtrack to the Violent Life I Escaped. The author is classical pianist Nerva Altino. It has been a delight and a treasure speaking with you. I am so sorry for the loss of your father, but we are so happy that you have survived and are thriving and embracing your purpose. Thank you so very much for having me. God bless you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next Next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.